On this episode of Comedy Rewind, is there a cast from the 2000s that has aged as well as the unknowns in The Hangover? Was this film's success the beginning of the end for big-name Hollywood comedians? Did Zach Galifianakis peak with his first big role? All of this and more on Comedy Rewind. 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 Push Rewind. I thought this was a comedy show. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to 8-Bits Comedy Rewind. We're powered by Audio-Technica as we rewatch the great comedies of the 1990s and 2000s. I'm your host, John Peck. Joining me, the one-man wolf pack, Dave Martinson. How you doing, Dave? Not at the table, Jono. How's it going, man? Thanks for having me. Good, yeah. It's been a long time coming. I know you're a big uh, comedy fan, a big hangover aficionado, so it's great to have you on the podcast. Blast. Yeah, absolutely. I watch a ton of movies. And I do like comedies, which is a harder uh, feat to uh, stick to these days, obviously. Studio comedy, such as The Hangover, is unfortunately mm. becoming rarer and rarer. And when we do get them, they don't make a lot of money, really. It's, it's a tough time, but uh, you can always look back and find gems that made a ton of money, like The Hangover. Yeah, it sure did. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. I was just listening to a, a podcast where they were talking about, like, yeah, that, that people tend to only want to go to the movies for something that's a big movie experience with you know the big surround sound and special effects because mm-hmm. it's it's not the same watching that kind of thing at home while a, a, you know a rom-com or a family movie or even yeah. an animated movie like it's almost better watching it on your couch for whatever reason compared to going out and having the popcorn and and you know mm-hmm. spending the money and finding a car park and dragging the whole family along yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a ton of reasons, obviously, right? Adult, adult drama is another one, unfortunately, that people just don't seem to go out to see anymore. I think a big part of it is people have a lot more things that they can do to occupy their time these days. Casual movie going doesn't really exist anymore, mm-hmm. unfortunately, with the advent of streaming and all this other choice. So, yeah, people uh, people look for a Netflix comedy to, to satiate yeah. this, you know, and you really don't see a lot of studio releases. It, it is... Um, it's unfortunate, but it's just just kind of the way audience trends are are going. Yeah, for sure. And like the other day at work, I was asking some like some of my colleagues, "Oh, have you seen this movie? Have you seen that movie?" And they're like, "You you watch a lot of movies." I was like, "I actually don't. Like, I only go to the cinema like you know maybe four or five times a year. And oh, I, wow. I guess I watch stuff on Netflix, like mm-hmm. the, the big movies that come out to Netflix." And whatever. I mean, when I say four or five times a year, that's probably the bias of COVID being recently and not being as many mm-hmm. releases that, that I'd get to. But um, I was like, I don't even watch that many movies. So for people to have that impression of me, I guess um, it says a lot about mm. how much movies other people watch. Because I'm more of a TV series guy these days. Like, I find it harder to... Like, you know, occasionally I'll... Like, I watched gangs of new york the other day because i'd never seen it and you yeah, know nice. just watched jackie brown last night because I, I haven't seen it for a long time and recently watched kill bill one and two so i will like put a movie on now and then but i much prefer to watch a tv show typically apart from doing this podcast every couple of weeks yeah that's interesting yeah i think a lot of people are more on that that uh wavelength these days i, I go to the movies a lot still i see between the theater and things I watch at home, the streaming releases, I probably watch around 100 new movies a year. 
so I'm in like the you know 0.1 percent. I'm not a normal person, but like movies don't have that kind of place in the culture like they once did, especially especially beyond franchise IP stuff. That's the only stuff that seems to even break through, with a few exceptions. Mm. So it's it's tough to see how how it's gone, but um, yeah, is hopefully streaming in some capacity can keep a keep audience habits alive that way they keep funding these movies because that's what i care about most mm-hmm. that, that these movies continue to exist you know theater is one thing i love the theater but if if we don't have enough people seeing movies you know and everything's becoming tv then i feel like you are going to mm-hmm. lose something so yeah and, and it's interesting as well like you one of the reasons that people might have gone to the movies before was to see the big stars and mm-hmm. now the big stars are doing tv like christopher walken's on this show, uh, The Outlaws, and I think he's done another TV show. And not oh, like yeah. it's like Christopher Walken's an A-lister at the moment, like a, a big draw, but he's still someone you're like, oh, like from the, I guess from an artistic perspective, as someone that's yeah. done a lot of, you know, big dramatic roles and you know Oscar movies and that kind of thing, he's he's someone you less expect to see show up in a TV show. Like if Robert De Niro was doing a TV show, you'd be like, oh wow, that's a big. Yep. thing for someone to to make Absolutely. that um that transition so I, yeah that's just uh just a little example and um it kind of ties into the hangover because this is a movie that did not have a big um box office draw as far as the cast um let's get into the hangover what were your experiences with this movie both at the time it came out and since its release yeah so i just by chance have like a very specific answer to this uh <laughs> so when The Hangover came out in 2009, 2009? summer 2009, yep. I was 16 and I was also working at a sleepaway Boy Scout camp and the junior staff, everyone under 18 has like a night out once a week where it's like basically like your time off during the middle of the week where you leave camp and can like, you know, just be a normal person in in society, right? So all of us during the week one night out, we went and saw The Hangover, which was, I think, in it was probably after its opening weekend or perhaps after its second weekend. I'm not exactly sure. And funny part about that is just because of like the uh, boonies area I was uh, in, I didn't get ID'd. I was uh, in the U.S. It's rated R, and I was 16. I, I, I wouldn't actually supposed to even go to see that without like my parent, right. but uh, they didn't care. We all saw that, and it was this big thing, and. Then I remember uh, later at the end of the summer, you know, going to start my senior year of high school. And that was when like status updates on Facebook being hangover movie quotes was like this huge thing for like four or six weeks. And uh, you could become a fan of like the quotes back when that was the the predecessor to liking a page on Facebook. Like I remember all this so vividly. There was like this huge flashpoint where the movie was like big on Facebook. And that, that was a few months after it had already come out to be to be clear, which is, I think, mm-hmm. kind of speaks to what kind of t- cultural time uh, that was when a movie could last like that, especially a non-franchise film. Yeah, definitely. Like, it, It's funny doing this podcast where there's some movies that we watch and they might be really funny, but they're not quotable at all. Like me, me, myself and Irene, we just did like recently right. and I can't really think of a single quote from it. And that's a Jim Carrey movie, which he tries to typically turn everything into a quote um, or a catchphrase or whatever. So compare that to The Hangover where we could both rattle off like 
a bunch of, of lines that have stood the test of time as things that people remember and associate with the movie. And that says a lot about how great the script is, I think, um, and the performances in this movie. I remember going to this in 2009. Uh, I was my, it was my first year out of university, so I was living in uh, Mildura, which is like deep into the, the northern uh, regional remote area of uh, the state that I live in. So far from home, but had some good friends there and definitely went to see this movie uh, with some friends and had a great time. And it, it kind of came out of nowhere. And I, I guess there were these occasional, uh, would you call it like a bromance comedy? I don't even really sure. know. It, but it, it just seemed like, I, I guess it was a, um, a surprise hit because it just didn't have a big... Uh, a big lead role. Like we kind of knew who Ed Helms was because he'd done a bit on the office yeah. by this point. And, uh, he's, he wasn't the star of the office. He was like the fifth or sixth string, right. uh, probably cast member on, on a show like that. And I had no idea who Zach Galifianakis was. I don't think anyone really did unless you were like a super big comedy fan. Yeah, he was like more like underground, like L.A. comedy scene. You had to be yeah. in the know to kind of be up on him in 2009. For sure. And then Bradley Cooper, he was in... Um, wedding Crashers. Uh, wedding Crashers. He's the in, Wedding Crashers uh, guy at this time. Yeah, and and he was the, the villain in that movie. So he wasn't like a leading man or anything. Uh, right. And he, he kind of plays a similar-ish character in this, but a, a lot more likable because you're kind of seeing things from his perspective. But I guess Heather Graham was probably like the biggest name in the movie, apart from like Mike Tyson. But as far as like someone who's done yeah, a lot of honestly. films and that kind of thing. Uh, Jeffrey Tambor's a, a small part and coming out of Arrested Development, he's probably one of the more recognizable people. But yeah, it just didn't have the uh, reliable box office draw. And I'd be really interested what the studios said about it. Like, I know that they tried to cast like Jack Black as the as Alan, Alan role, which would have made sense, even though it w I don't think it would have worked quite the same. Um, I think, what else do I have in my research? Even Jonah Hill and Jake Gyllenhaal were considered for that role. Uh, Lindsay Lohan turned down the role that, yeah uh, uh, Todd Phillips disputes that about took. the turning down oh, really? part he says he didn't he didn't want to pick her because she was too young but ah, li okay. Lindsay said she turned it down <laughs> who can say sure sure and then yeah Ken Jong became probably a, a big name after this so right. community um yeah there's definitely just um they just did a great job casting it without relying on a big name and I, I think that What's interesting about that is that Comedy Rewind, part of what we've done on this show is is look back at all these blockbuster comedies through the 90s and 2000s that are led by, it's an Adam Sandler movie, it's a Jim Carrey movie, it's a Ben Stiller movie, it's a Vince Vaughn movie, it's a Kevin Smith movie. Like that, There's all these figures mm. that are associated with them. And this is at least in my eyes, you know, there's been films like, I guess, Death at a Funeral or these cult classics um, that have come along the way that have um, been a cheaper film to shoot or whatever. But this is one of those gangbusters, blockbusters, uh, huge hits that 
didn't need the star at the center of it. It was an ensemble cast. And I feel like it kind of paved the way for a new era. It was the mm. beginning of, of that end where, you know, these days the big box office draws for lack of better term, I, I, it's really hard to think of who they are. It's, 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 it's like Seth Rogen. And then it's like, uh, it, it's, I don't know. Like who, who would you say is the big comedy draw now? Like Kevin Hart has movies, I guess, that yeah. come out. Melissa McCarthy, otherwise... perhaps. Yeah. yeah. But I, I think more than anything, this kind of like, at this time we're, we're shift, you mentioned all like the Vince Vaughn movie, uh, et cetera. Right. At this point, we're kind of shifting to like the Judd Apatow era of studio yeah. comedies and, and the, basically Seth Rogen taking over as like the guy. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, as F- and Farrell's kind of still sprinkled in here too. But I think more than anything, as we've already talked about how the comedy is kind of, the studio comedy is kind of declined, uh, the movie star, star power has also declined too. Like everyone we've just named, like honestly, none of those people are true box office draws. Even like Chris Evans and the, the MCU stars, they're not box office draws either. The The box office draws are the IP these days, right? So it's almost like a moot point, unfortunately, where like, very rarely do we see like true, like tr- true star power. But yeah, in terms of like who are like the comedy stalwarts, honestly, I think, uh, I mean, shout out Pete Davidson. I think he's right there yeah, in t- today's climate, true. honestly. King of Staten Island and some uh, big time adolescents, some other stuff. But, uh, and like Seth Rogen, you know, he's kind of done some more serious stuff recently too. So I'm not even sure if he's like the top dog anymore. But like, like there's no clear like successor because cause we're just in yeah. a different time. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Like, it, it will be like, oh, we've cast, um, uh, like, uh, Robert Downey Jr. is going to be the star of this comedy, or um, Ryan uh, Ryan Reynolds Gosling. Ryan Gosling is going to, mm-hmm. or Ryan Reynolds are going to be the lead of this comedy, and it's not like based around that personality so much as the concept or the IP, like you it, said. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that is interesting. Unless you're Tom Holland, and then they'll just put you in something. Yeah, uh, I like think Uncharted. he's probably the top star. <laughs> to be honest, he's got the kids yeah. on his side. That's it. So yeah, I, I guess that's something that maybe, maybe I didn't realize it at the time, but it was the beginning of of that clear shift. And from there, it was like Bridesmaids that was yep. you know following a similar thing of not having a clear star but a great ensemble. Right. And there's been many films uh since then that have have played up to the same kind of thing and i feel like the whole like drunken escapade uh genre of Mm. of film it's it's been a big thing like you get these bachelorette party movies girls trip Mm. um you know bad mums like all these kinds of uh, project comedies based yeah yeah, all these comedies based around um people uh, having to deal with the consequences of a of a big night out or uh, the, the day after and we have to give a shout out to dude where's my car for for being this movie <laughs> before this movie because sure. I, I didn't realize it till i was doing my research but i was like yeah okay there's actually a lot of similar beats where it's the day after and you're trying to piece together everything that was forgotten in the night before um we'll do dude where's my car on this podcast at a future date but for now we're talking the hangover so we mentioned before the the box office success. It was filmed for thirty five million dollars, <laughs> uh, and up until I guess this point, some of those big stars we mentioned were demanding like, you know, five or six million dollars to appear mm-hmm. in a movie. 
Uh, so it's it's a pretty small budget for something that made four hundred and sixty nine million. That is serious money for a comedy. Uh, I guess that would be like you'd probably know better than me. But four sixty nine million dollars now. That where would that rank for an annual like uh, release? I mean, that's more than Dune made last year. You know yeah. that that that's an unheard of sum for a comedy, obviously. Mm-hmm. But really, an unheard of sum for anything that's not an IP film in non-COVID times. Yeah. I mean, that was the case, you know, in 2019 too. Um, I mean, if you look at if you look at the chart of uh, 2009, you know, Hangover. Uh, I have the U.S. chart in front of me where it made 277, crazy number, outgrossing the J.J. Abrams Star Trek reboot. You know, um, but like the big movies back then, you still had like number ten in the u.s was the blind side sandra bullock kind of conventional mm. like family drama film like it was just such a different time where movies like the hangover and the blind side can get in there you know monsters versus aliens a non-ip animated film just monster hit you know out of nowhere yeah like, you just can't see that yeah. anymore so yeah um, yeah whereas now the- it's like three or four marvel movies a star wars movie um, a, a Disney reboot of like Aladdin or or something like it's, it's just like twelve Disney movies. Yeah. In DC, row. Jurassic, you, you know you know the yeah. names. Yeah, and then you throw a Pixar movie in there or something as well, perhaps. But yeah, it's an interesting um, thing to look back at, and I, I feel like amongst the comedies that we've covered, that like four sixty nine, that's probably that could be the highest that I've I seen. Think it is. Like, yeah, there's a lot of. Um, there's been a few 300 millions and, and like things like that with Ben Stiller movies that have, have done really well or um, Anchor, Anchorman and or maybe not Anchorman, but um, certainly some of the, the Will Ferrell hits. But mm-hmm. yeah, 469, kudos to um, to our friends uh, over there for, for putting that one right. together. That, that's, well, I, I think, think it- um, Todd Phillips had points on this. Yeah, exactly. He made a lot of money out of this movie. Well, you, you kind of teased it, right? Uh they didn't have big stars here and legendary kind of uh, went along with Todd Phillips suggestion where he would cut his fee or take no fee and then just get major back end on the movie instead. Obviously legendary and Warner didn't see that big box office coming. So Todd Phillips made like what, like over 50, $60 million just off box office receipts because of his, 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 Mm -hmm. uh, deal he had set up like he it's talk about betting on yourself i mean yeah good for him and this this would have still been in the dvd era as well so i'm sure that he collected a a paycheck or two from from dvd sales uh if you don't already know from your research dave what do you want to guess the rotten tomato score for this movie oh you know it's so funny because i knew you would ask this i looked it up the other day and i don't remember um (laughs) i want to say it's pretty good though isn't it like like 80 plus it's 79 percent. okay so yeah pretty close cool uh fairly fairly popular it's i guess surprising for this kind of raunchy true um movie to to do that well like you know non-pc um just a lot of uh I guess you could say that some some of them would would argue that's predictable setups to to jokes right. and that kind of thing. So for, at the end for of the Chris day, though, it's like funny, it, you know. Yeah, yeah, it, it's sure. doing its job as a comedy, so that's oh, why absolutely. I think people like yeah. it. Yeah, 
Yeah, and I've read some some varied opinions on why it works. I think Ed Helms himself was saying like it's it's not like the necessarily the the characters' dialogue, apart from Alan, I guess, having just like Zach Galifianakis com- comedic genius, but the other characters like Bradley Cooper and Ed Helms and whoever else, it's like the circumstances they've been put in that makes it, it funny, regardless of like what the dialogue or script is is calling for them to say or, or how they perform it so um, that, that, that's an interesting concept but i've got a few critic uh comments that came out at the time so empire magazine called it a furiously paced inventive and flat out hilarious take on a tried and tested formula an exemplary bromantic comedy that doesn't sacrifice heart in pursuit of laughs maintaining plenty of the former and a super abundance of the latter. I feel like that's probably a bit uh, hyperbolic. Uh, it's it, it is it, it is each of those things probably um, that doesn't sacrifice heart in a pursuit of laughs. I guess there's a heart to this movie towards the end. Uh, mm-hmm. You see uh, Ed Helms' character stand up for himself against his abusive girlfriend, right, uh, and. I don't know if there's a lot of learning that happens throughout the movie, um, but yeah, it's it's certainly um, it's certainly a positive review, and I'm sure many people saw it that way at the time. Yeah, I agree. Uh, what else do we have here? There's a there's one from the Independent in the UK that says some very funny, very non PC dialogue is thrown about like a game of catch. The actors virtually unknown are terrific we've covered that already some negative reviews this one's quite funny from uh, movie retriever when the years have passed and the buzz has worn off i honestly feel that people will look back at the hangover and wonder what they laughed at in 2009 (laughs) (laughs) that's aged uh, very poorly that that review i have to say because i look back at 2009 and think yeah like this was uh uh pretty landmark comedy and it spawned two sequels that did really well but um i i don't know about you i i don't even know if i've seen both of those sequels because i've seen them yeah the, the, the first one just the first one just seemed to capture something in the moment that uh, i didn't know mm-hmm. could be recreated in a sequel where they try and do the same thing is that essentially the the issue with the, they, those two sequels yeah, they like, do they, a bit they of this... them out they it was it was within like f- four years they released the, right. those two sequels. Yeah, I mean the, the the our core group here just got absolutely paid to make these movies, and they still were successful yeah. at the box office. But go check Rotten Tomatoes on these. These movies were banned from the jump, <laughs> and I mean two two is okay. Two does a bit of like they kind of do it again this time in uh, Thailand, and three is just completely off the rails. And I think the the Ken Jeong character uh, just gets kind of worse and worse in the sequels after already not really starting in the good place in the original. So yeah, they're, they're completely forgettable, but um, you know, I mean, every, everyone got major bags to make those movies and they, they were successful. So you can't begrudge them for making sure. them. Yeah. It's definitely like um, make hay while the sun shines kind of approach. Mm-hmm. I think. <laughs> okay. So the number one song when this movie released do you want to have any guesses for what we were looking yeah, at back in uh, May of... So this is summer 09. Two, or J- June, I think, of 2009. Yeah. yeah. June. 
my guess would have to be like something off Teenage Dream, Katy Perry. <laughs> Not a bad guess. So it's Black Eyed Peas. Okay. And it was Boom uh, Boom Pow. Boom Boom Pow, which yep. was on number one on the billboards for 12 weeks. And it was only knocked off by the Black Eyed Peas. I, I got, got a feeling. feeling. Which yep. which then held the held number one for 14 weeks. So between those two tracks, uh, 36 weeks straight. I don't think I've ever seen that in the in research for this uh, podcast. So, you know, to, to release two singles back to back and have them both number one for so long, it's a pretty rare thing. Even in Australia, looking at our local charts, it was the same thing. Not quite the 12 and 14 weeks. Mm-hmm. It's more like eight and it's six nice. or eight and 10 or something. But um, yeah, go Black Eyed Peas, I guess. <laughs> They're probably still living off the uh, the success of, of yeah. Uh, that was a big mu- big record tracks. for them. Big uh, big time. Yeah. Okay, so what have you done for me lately? I've got um, a few of the the stars here listed and just seeing what they've been up to. So Zach Galifianakis, he's seemingly turned a lot more to doing voice acting. I don't know if it's like a pandemic thing. It's just easier to to do voice roles. But he's been in Big Mouth. He's got a Bob's Burgers movie coming up and he's done I think a lot of voice in that series over the years uh, he had an animated movie come out recently called Ron's Gone Wrong mm-hmm. don't know anything about that so it must be one of the smaller animated studios I guess right. yeah Sony movie I think yeah uh, Bradley Cooper is getting plenty of work just yeah. through he's the uh, Rocket Raccoon <laughs> um, so doing all the Disney properties whether it's uh, the upcoming films with Guardians and crossovers or What If and, and different things like that. Uh, he was just he was in Nightmare in Alley Licorice. with Guillermo del Toro. Yeah, yeah, and, and Licorice Pizza, which a lot of people were a big yep. fan of last year. Or was that earlier this year? I can't yeah, remember. Was, uh, for, for us, it was last year. Yep. Yeah. And who else we got here? So... Ken Jong, I saw him in Murderville recently, which was a pretty fun um, little Netflix series where people get to improvise next to uh, our friend. Oh, what's his name again? I'm f- completely forgetting from um, from Arrested Development. Tambor. Uh, no, the uh, Bateman. Job. Character. Will Arnett. Will Arnett, yeah, of course. So Will <laughs> Arnett plays like a yeah. a cop, and a different actor comes next to him to to improv different scenes and. Ken Jong was was pretty fun on there. He's on the Mass Singer, uh, the TV show, also as like a host. Yeah, yeah. Ed Helms has been pretty busy. He's got a series called Rutherford Falls. Which have you heard much about this one? I've heard of it. That's about it. I've, I actually didn't even realize yeah. he was in it. Yeah. So, well, he's one of the creators of of mm. this series, um, which. I think I heard about it because of the way that it, it treats like a Native American community with a lot of. Um, reference and respect it's, it's, it's one of those peacock series so i don't know if many okay. people have seen it but i'd be interested to check it out if it um if it comes our way uh but you know he, he's he's done very well since this movie uh and mm-hmm. it's i guess he can he can kind of pick and choose what he, he does uh, as much as anyone in yeah. this film especially i feel like once you've done the office not that everyone in the office has gone on to do heaps of stuff but I feel like being in the office gives you probably a lifetime yeah. of um, of work. <laughs> you know, it's kind of an interesting 
cast and crew to look back on because as you said with Galifianakis, even before the pandemic, he wasn't really doing as much mainstream like starring work as he was like at the beginning of the 2010s, you know, post hangover, there's all those mm-hmm. other movies he does, right? Like the campaign and due date and Jude, dinner Jude for Jude schmucks, Jude. you know, that's a kind of a different time for him. And, uh, Cooper, I mean, Cooper is clearly the star of the group. I mean, in 2018, he makes a star is born that he directs and, uh, stars in, he's about to make his second movie, the Bernstein biopic, uh, maestro. So he, and like I said, he was in nightmare alley too. So he's, uh, He's definitely like the the biggest like front facing star of this group. But lest we forget, uh, Todd Phillips' last film was 2019's Joker. Todd Phillips not yeah. making comedies anymore. There's nothing officially in the in, in in his schedule in the future. But we'll see. But um, yeah, Todd Phillips definitely kind of an interesting career to to have this absolute payday making The Hangover. Be in general, be a comedy director for almost 20 years, and then he makes Joker, which you know, wins the Golden Lion at Venice and then gets Oscar nominated. Yeah, it's crazy when you, you look at, like, the things that he'd done leading up to The Hangover. It was old comedies. Like, it yeah, was... Old school, most know, famously. Yeah, he, he did old school and he, he um, did Road Trip and a bunch of those kinds of, uh, I guess, similarly kind of um, quirky and off-the-wall uh comedies like um school for scoundrels he was a, a producer on i think and um starsky and hutch yep yeah Remake. so he was definitely in that ben stiller kind of um world before this came along and then yeah after the hangover films war dogs which was probably more of a drama than right anything he'd done and then joker so it's it'll be interesting i according to imdb at least the next thing he's working on is a hulk hogan biopic so yeah, i saw that there hasn't been that, much news on that in a few years though so yeah. who can say indeed um justin bartha who i guess we should mention as, as doug <laughs> gets kind of the, the right the short end of the stick in this movie because he disappears for the the bulk of it but um <laughs> he I, sh- I should mention that he he is in an episode of atlanta which uh is the hotness right now it's um you know the third season that everyone's been waiting for so it's good to see him mm. Yeah, that's a good point. Still getting plenty of work. Yeah. All right. Uh, we'll move on from what have you done for me lately into the categories. What's the most 2000s moment of this film that closes out the 2000s? That's a great question. I mean, some obvious stuff is like the music drops are just very much of that time. You know, you have like Kanye, Can't Tell Me Nothing, T.I., Live Your Life. Just, you know, very like 2007, which both those the, both those songs are from 07, I think. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, just generally, like, the fact that they don't have smartphones, they just have feature phones, they just have normal mobile phones, normal cell phones, that's probably the most obvious thing that you can think of, I suppose. I mean, I think, I think like, meta-wise, you know, like, kind of overt, like, homophobia in your comedy is <laughs> yes. very much of that time, obviously. But, yeah, I guess it's, like, the, the fact that they don't have smartphones, an obvious observation. Yeah, I had a similar kind of... um a note taken down here with Wolf Mother, Usher, yeah, Baha Men who let the dogs out. Like, Gosh. not that that was uh, Baha Men. That was more of like an early, very early two thousands kind of thing. But you, I feel like you wouldn't even be able to include that song in your movie now without it just being a joke. Correct. Um, and maybe it was in two thousand nine as well. I can't remember, but it it still feels very two thousands, especially when you associate it with I don't know, like Shrek or wherever it was 
originally used i can't remember yeah gosh um <laughs> and then you got like a, a line like thanks a lot bin laden like that that kind of uh reference to to 9-11 changing air travel um <laughs> that that feels very 2000s even though yeah I, I guess bin laden was still on the loose for a few years yeah so that's, that's you, right you, yeah. you wouldn't have yeah there you go but yeah the point you make about the phones is interesting the film starts with a voicemail on Bradley Cooper's character's phone where he says, don't text me. He says, texting is gay or something right. like that. And it's like it's like the first line of the movie. And I'm like, oh, right off the bat with yeah. the, the just like really casual homophobia that almost like I don't even understand the joke. Like why is texting, uh, I guess, like looked at as a non-masculine thing to do? <laughs> No, yeah. I mean, obviously, that's, like, of that time where, like, gay was just used interchangeably to say, like, stupid or dumb, and obviously, like, yeah. uh, don't need to go down that road. But, like, yeah, I, is that perhaps the way the screenwriters wanted to, like, ward off anybody asking, hey, why aren't there, like, text messages throughout the night that they can reference and try and piece together? Like, is it just trying to avoid a plot hole? Because, yeah, yeah like, no, no one has that opinion of texting. Maybe more people had that no. opinion back then, I guess, but, like... It, it doesn't make much sense. Yeah, you might be onto something there because that would... Um, I mean, they were all hanging out together. So, I guess, why would you text your friends that are in the same room as you? That could be part of it. But maybe... Yeah, maybe it's just... We're, we're a bit younger. So, we grew up with mobile or cell phones. Mm -hmm. So, texting is a lot more natural to us. But maybe there is like a slightly older generation that uh, didn't grow up with texting that you know, had a problem with it for whatever reason. I don't know. It's it, Anyway, either way, it was it was just a weird way to start the movie and definitely sets you off on like, oh, this is very much not uh, a modern film as far as the uh, attitudes towards the gay community. And it would only kind of get worse from there, which we'll, we'll get to in one of the later questions. Uh what did you? What do you think the most iconic scene is from uh, The Hangover? Because it, it's very hard to pick. There's so many iconic images in this film. Um, whether it's you know, I guess the the tiger in the hotel room is probably the one that, that jumps to mind for me. But um, even like the image of uh, Ed Helms waking up with no tooth mm -hmm. is is quite iconic. And as far as like a scene, the thing that I wrote down was a bit of a sequence so you, you had the 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 wolf pack uh speech on the rooftop mm. followed by the shots and that goes straight into waking up in the hotel and all the chaos that you're like oh no what, what have they got themselves into and that kind of sets up everything that happens right. from there on so i feel like those two scenes that kind of roll into each other you got the baby that shows up you got <laughs> the tiger there's a chicken running around um Stu's missing the tooth and we can't find Doug. Right. So I, f I feel like that is kind of like the, the scene to me that, that uh, sums up the movie. Yeah, I would have to agree. I think it's also important to put yourself, if you if you can remember, what it was like watching the movie and watching individual scenes for the first time. And the sheer surprise of there being a live Bengal tiger in the bathroom. And the way it's mm. shown, too, where Alan is standing up taking a pee and then he like turns over to look at the tiger when it makes a noise and he just turns over while continuing to pee midstream. It's like 
the funniest thing, but also so shocking. Um, in terms of like, uh, like I- iconic, I, this is probably more of a spoiler for when the other categories, but like the uh, card counting scene where they have to make up the 80 grand. You, that, of course, we have mm-hmm. the iconic gif of uh, Alan doing like math in his head and you see all the calculations yeah. uh, visually. I, I suppose that has some kind of iconicness, whether it's really just the gif versus the whole scene. And then I suppose the other thing in contention is when you first actually see like Mike Tyson in the flesh, just because, again, the sheer surprise at the time of seeing Mike Tyson kind of coming back into the public eye after some pub- yeah. after some struggles, you know? Yeah, you're right there. Like just Mike Tyson being in the movie at that point in his, uh, I guess you could say that that time in his career was a surprise because since this movie, he's kind of been a fairly uh, regular presence as far as mm-hmm. whether it's documentaries about him or him appearing in different uh, comedies and things over the years. This Yeah, this was definitely at a, a dark time. Like I, I, in my research, I saw that he... Um, chose to appear in the film so that he could fund his drug habit and that he was high on cocaine even when they filmed his scenes and that i guess working in the film and uh seeing that people responded so positively to his um, appearance is is one of the things that convinced him to turn things around so that's really cool um and when he shows up singing phil collins that is a really hilarious scene (laughs) too (laughs) that's my favorite part wait (laughs) um pretty much anything that happens in that hotel room is is pretty pretty great i I guess the one other thing that i would throw out there is the appearance uh the first appearance of uh of mr chow when he jumps out of the the trunk of the car and just like beats the crap out of everyone right um it's just so out of nowhere and where like i guess that's a perhaps a portrayal that doesn't necessarily hold up really well but at the at the time, it was a very funny um, uh, performance from from Ken Jong, and I guess to the point that he became a star after yeah. after this movie came out. It, it certainly speaks to the fact that everyone enjoyed it at the time. Uh, so that yeah, that, that's probably they're probably the ones that stand out to me for most iconic scene. Um, what holds up the best to you? I would say the casting. Like Zach Galifianakis mm-hmm. in the role of Alan has aged like a fine wine, and Bradley Cooper, especially what we know about him now as an A-list star, but he's like so perfect in this role as well. And even Ed Helms, you you could have picked a more famous comedic actor. You could have picked a more famous person to play Justin Bartha's role, but like mm-hmm. everything just works so well. And you, even Mike Tyson as the casting for your celebrity cameo role, like everything seemed to work and. Um, you know, honestly, like even if, if Ken Jong's portrayal was a little different, I think even that casting was successful. So I, I think that, that that's what uh, holds up the best to me. And, and just in general, like the structure of the film, it's very tight. It's not too long. It's not a bloated comedy. And it's like a, it's tight script as a result. And it, it, it's funny. It's doing what it sets mm. out to do. It's a very entertaining movie. Yeah, it's pretty rare for a film to have three... Uh, I guess three leads in uh, for the majority of, of the film in Zach, Bradley Cooper and Ed Helms and each of those people being unknowns and each of those people now being capable of leading their own 
project. Right. If not a movie, then a TV series, which you know they've all done. So it's it's yeah, pretty pretty great casting on that side. You 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 go back and watch it, and there's no sense of like, oh, Zach Galifianakis was just figuring things out or <laughs> anything like that. It's like this movie could have come out like this year, and he would be just as good, just as confident, just as funny. Yeah, um, he really just. Like it's almost like that character was written for him. I think that they did re- did some rewrites based on his comedic onstage persona. Mm-hmm. There's some some jokes in there that are direct references to bits that he had, whether it's fat Jesus or <laughs> um, I think apparently he had a joke about being banned from Chuck E. Cheese and that <laughs> kind of thing. So can't whether be that's two hundred feet of a school, yeah. <laughs> Whether that's him bringing it or the the writers being familiar with his um, stand up, I don't know. But um, yeah, it's it's just like once you've seen it, even saying like that, seeing that they were thinking about casting Jack Black, you can see how Jack Black would work, but it just wouldn't be the same. Right. It wouldn't be the same deadpan perfection that you get from from Zach, and right. that's um, something that makes that character. Like that, that character really is the most iconic thing from, <laughs> from I agree. the series, I think. You know, I think one other thing that holds up the best too is another like structural choice of like the script and then the movie making, it, which is that we don't see anything of the night that they can't remember. That mm-hmm. would be very fun to watch all the hijinks ensuing. But no, we don't actually see it. We have to watch them piece it together as a kind of like a mystery, a whodunit kind of story. And then at the end credit scene, we get or the credits we see them look at the camera roll and we see all these still images of the actual night i think that is still amazing yeah you're right the the other note that i had jotted down for this was the concept um starting with like the the movie literally begins with a phone call to i can't remember whether it's the bridesmaid or the bride saying like you know we uh we're gonna need like an an extra day or we don't know where Doug... I can't remember yeah. exactly what they're saying, but they're, they're, they're showing that there's been some kind of disaster and then it backtracks um, right. to... or it flashes back to before leaving for, for Vegas and um, then it's backtracking their steps over over the course of the night and looking for receipts and looking for all that kind of stuff. And I mentioned before, Dude, Where's My Car had done the same kind of thing. So shout out to... Uh, Sean William Scott and Ashton Kutcher, but done to this degree of uh, craziness and hilarity, whether it's they go to pick up their car, it's a cop car, <laughs> they go to the hospital, they go to the police station. There's just so much craziness um, that, that one thing just leads to the next in, in quite a hilarious way. And like you said, finishing the movie with the with the Polaroid, or not, not even Polaroids, it's just the... The digital images on their camera, isn't it? It's a genius way to, to wrap things up. Okay. What holds up the worst? So clearly we've mentioned there's a lot of homophobia and I feel like this was this might be giving the Hollywood too much credit, but I feel like this is almost like one of the last times you could get away yeah. with it in a big movie. Um, there's been a lot of films that we've covered on this podcast that have the same approach to it, especially like the Judd Apatow movies and that kind of right. thing. Um, but 
I feel like 2009, after that, it's going to get really hard to, to get away with it on a stage as, as big as this one. And it goes beyond that as well to almost like within the same movement is like you can't say retard in a movie anymore. Yep. And that even though they were playing with like, it was more a joke about Alan not being able to pronounce the word or just choosing to pronounce it differently with the re- retard um that kind of um that kind of uh i guess you you're calling them some people would call them slurs or offensive terms like they're just when, when it's punching down to to a right. certain group of people it just doesn't fly in a more progressive world i suppose for lack of, of right and term. i think if you're, think if you're a little bit more self-aware about it like paging dr faggot that's not like good comedy you're just saying no. that to to say it say a you know a homophobic slur it's not like it's a good joke i don't think any of the the stuff that people would consider uh like over the line these days i don't think any of it's like great comedy none of it's like worth like defending or trying to save you know yeah, um, I think that's joke. kind of something people miss often is like some people get really struck on like defending it. Oh, it's comedy. It's like, All right, well, it's not even good comedy. Then why do you care that much if it pisses people off? Because when it's good comedy that pisses people off, that's when there's more of a conversation. But it's not like this is anything to write home about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not some high concept thing. It's just it, it's yeah. almost just going straight for the for the. Uh, shock value almost for uh, mm-hmm. i guess so um on the on the on the similar page there's a lot of like casual misogyny from uh some of the characters i guess especially uh phil bradley cooper's character who and it's hard to tell like is it just they're showing that he's not a nice person <laughs> that's how i read or it. is it oh yeah that, that's mostly like how he's I a read douche it. or like- you know yeah he's a bit of a douche so in that sense i guess it's it's um it's more permissible as far as like it, it doesn't it's not as as abrasive as, as it could be but when he for example is like driving the cop car and telling you, you know using the pa system to tell yep. a woman that she has a great rack like that i is it is it meant to be haha it's funny because he's a douche or is it meant to be haha it's funny because he's catcalling this this woman and yeah exactly using the pa system to do it like i don't know which of those two it is but again it certainly would stand out more in a script that was made in 2022 right and i'd say the last thing with this too is just the mr chow ken jong performance it's just it's just a ching chong asian stereotype performance he literally says he has a small dick or small nuts or whatever it is and you know he's speaking in like a a, a a strong accent, but his you know his two his two henchmen aren't. Um, I think that that's another thing where it's just like it's just like so obviously the stereotype, and mm. like it doesn't add anything either. That's something else that's just just completely unforced error and has aged very poorly. Yeah, and it's not even like that's his natural way of speaking or anything like that. It's yeah, right. It's very just amplified and played up. I wonder how he feels about it now as like a Vietnamese um, American actor. And, uh, you know, occasionally you hear about some um, of these minorities who they kind of acknowledge that 
to, to make it in Hollywood, at least for their first role, they have to play this type of a character. Like I know, um, uh, having another mind blank, who's the, the Harold and Kumar guy that's... Oh, uh, um, Cal Penn? Not, or John Yeah, Cho. Cal Penn. Right. Yeah, yeah, no, Cal Penn. Yeah, so when Cal Penn was in uh, Van Wilder, Party Liaison, which we did on this podcast a couple of months ago, he was playing a stereotypical Indian exchange student who spoke in the you know, the accent like like Raj on Big Bang Theory, like that typical kind of Indian uh, nerdy kind of uh, foreigner thing. And, and he's obviously a very intelligent, very American person in, in real life. Like, you know, he worked for the, for the White House at, at, at a certain point under the mm-hmm. Obama administration. And so for him to, to have to, I guess, reduce himself to that type of role, it's not that he... Uh, necessarily enjoyed that side of it but he acknowledged like if i want to make a name for myself or you know even make some money so i can support my career as an actor this is i might have to take a few of these lumps before i can do something that's a bit more you know dr house or whatever he went on to do after that yeah it's disappointing and that he would ever have to feel that way and i think we're we're definitely not in even that time now where like roles that are worthy and not just token roles or stereotypical roles. It's obviously a huge talking point now and, and the work is being done. It's not that it's over, but like we're definitely in a better place now. But uh, Ken Jeong actually had a quote about the, his hangover character when Crazy Rich Asians came out, which he had a role in. Okay. And he said, uh, quote, Mr. Chow is a meta joke on the stereotype where you're actually making fun of it. You're playing something so hard where you're usually the Asian is you're playing something so hard where usually the Asian is very passive. I've never done a live action role in an accent since the hangover because you're just going so hard that you can't even top it. So that's how he feels about that. At the same time, I still don't think it's uh, effective enough at like making fun of the stereotype. I feel like when a lot of like people saw that and they laughed, they just laughed because it was the stereotype and that's what made them laugh mm. and that's just not what you want to do. Yeah, I I definitely feel more like you, like I I see what you're saying more than what he's saying, and it's hard to say that he's wrong about a character that he's portraying himself. But mm-hmm. uh, it, I guess the way that it comes off matters, and and yeah, it it certainly feels like it's um it's his or or Todd Phillips or whoever's um idea of what would be the funniest thing for this character. Let's just make them as cartoonish as right. possible. Because, you know, if you could go back in time and he just play that character the way he plays Senor Chang on Community, you know, normal voice <laughs> without the accent, it would still be, I think, that it would still be very funny because he's just a funny mm-hmm. actor and he's a great performer. But anyway, we'll move on from there. Uh, who would be most offended? We've probably covered that in this last section already. I thought Peter. You might throw in Peter because of the, the use of mm-hmm. the... Uh, the, the the tiger and the whole like idea of I guess Vegas in particular and the way that they mm. have domesticated these uh, these beasts yeah uh, that's a good for call magic shows and that kind of thing <laughs> and and Mike Tyson owns seven of them apparently <laughs> yeah geez the one other thing that comes to mind is uh I think certain groups probably would clutch their pearls about someone making a joke about jerking off a baby like obviously it is a little off color yeah yeah but it's still a funny joke (laughs) the other thing that 
actually as a parent kind of offended me was the way that they just strapped this kid into a into a regular adult seatbelt in the car. Oh god. Yeah. And then they're just driving the, like it's not only that but they they have like whole almost car chase sequences like it's when they're escaping the guy with the shotgun or whatever right. at the Child at the chapel yeah they're just driving like crazy and this kid's just sitting there with you know the strap across his chest and there as a parent like there are so many precautions and like safe right. uh, <laughs> techniques about how to put a kid in a child seat how the strap should be you know rear facing front facing how tight the strap should be, how, you know, the neck support, all this stuff. And it's like, they've just put him <laughs> in an adult seatbelt and let him sit there. So uh, a bit of suspension of disbelief for that one, I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, also, <laughs> these guys are all supposed to come across as kind of dipshits. So it's very much in character that they would put the baby in harm's way, the baby they don't even it, know. Totally, you're right. It, it's just that the baby would be dead, I guess, which would yeah. be quite as funny. <laughs> Especially when they don't even know whose it is at that point. Okay, uh, moving on. Does the hangover pass the internet relevancy test via memes and GIFs? And I think, you know, you mentioned the one of Alan counting cards with his beautiful mind kind of uh, moment. And that certainly is probably the most frequently used one. Right. Is there, was, are any others jumping to mind for you? Well, I was trying to, like, like I said, like at the time, the quotes were super popular and, and super referenced. I don't know if that's still the case today. There are memorable quotes, but I feel like they're not as much in the culture uh, mm. as you would expect. But yeah, I mean, even if it only produced one signature GIF, signature meme, it's like an iconic like Hall of Fame GIF and meme. So yeah, I, I think it still passes the test. Yeah, I th- I think that as well as the um the one man wolf pack is is probably one that I've seen a bit. There's the uh, apparently isn't is isn't wait a second the quotes. This isn't the real Caesar's Palace, is it? Yep. Apparently, that's something that staff at Caesar's Palace heard for well, probably to this day from people right. checking into the hotel. Uh, he didn't live hotel, here, so. did he? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, only four years ago Hasbro issued a parody version of the board game Clue where players had to locate a missing friend somewhere in the city after a wild night so nice it's very much um, still like you know you you reference the movie The Hangover people will know what you're talking about so I guess from that point it's very much relevant even if there's not specific moments or quotes that have uh, continued to permeate pop culture so yeah i think that we can say it's still internet relevant um and you know i i also feel like anytime somebody wakes up from a big night and has something they don't remember you know whether it's where's my shoe or how did this you know pineapple get here or whatever it is like it's going to be oh it's a reference to the hangover or something like that so it, mm-hmm, it for sure it's reached that status for sure more so than uh, Dude, Where's My Car? How would modern smartphones and social media change this movie? You mentioned that they didn't really have smartphones. I, f- I feel like um, it was a holdout from r- Hollywood writers more than anything else to not have smartphones at this point because the first time I saw a smartphone was in 2008, 
eight, I suppose. And yeah, I mean, they, people... they existed at the time, but they weren't super yeah, mainstream until like 2011, 12-ish. Yeah, there were certainly other phones that could do what you needed to do. And there were, weren't like the apps that demanded that everyone instantly go out and buy a smartphone. Um, we didn't feel the need necessarily to watch YouTube on our phone or to to stream music on our phone like we would now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. Mobile apps yeah, in guess... general, just different different stage of their existence back then. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I feel obviously like if this was, was filmed these days, you'd have like the find my iPhone thing to that, that could solve some of those problems. You'd have yeah. probably Instagram live videos or Instagram yeah. stories that people definitely used to stories to, 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 definitely comes to yeah, mind to, to Snapchat stories back. or IG just like there would just be a lot more evidence of what was going on whether it was posted the stories or just on the camera roll and then if any like geotagging features are enabled like there, there's just a lot it's a lot easier to connect those dots unless everyone truly blacked out and never took a photo I guess and never sent yeah. a text I guess that's still possible but there's just a lot more opportunity for information to be to saved in some way between everyone's phones when there's everyone has a phone now you know yeah and it's a simple enough fix to just say you know that we lost our phones or that we all agreed we're going to put our phones in the in the safe overnight so that we're not distracted or whatever but um they're the things that you have to think about if you make this this movie now i i feel like the, the final sequence of the movie instead of scrolling through a digital camera it would be like scrolling through somebody's instagram stories and seeing oh that's that's how it all happened last night totally um and and moving on from that if you could make this movie today what would it look like what would the 2022 version be apart from the fact that it's been done to death because there was two sequels i think like there's not a reason you couldn't make this now Uh, i feel like the cast would be a lot more diverse than just you know, four white guys. Not that I, I think it should be more diverse because it's, you know, it's a group of friends and there's no reason why a group of friends can't just all be four yeah, white guys. But I, th- I feel like the approach from Hollywood would be, let's try and pull in, you know, let's cast Craig Robinson as one of the, the characters. Totally. Or, you know, let's, let's throw Kevin Hart in there or whatever it is. Um, I think that that would be the approach you might even have like a, a gay character as one of the four people yeah, definitely. Um, that would help i just think that's that's probably how they would do it these days or or the you know we've seen the female version of this to, to some extent with some of those um right girls trip like for sure girls trip bachelorette whatever it might be uh but yeah do you think you could make it now and, and how do you think it would look right yeah, I mean, obviously we talked about some of the stuff that hasn't aged well. You wouldn't do that now, but I actually think it would be cool to if if the Hangover didn't exist and you made this now. I think it'd be interesting because Las Vegas, like the culture of like going to Las Vegas, is a bit different. You know, twelve years later, thirteen years later, like I think we definitely see like a scene where they're like making fun of like a bachelorette party or something. Um, you know, people taking excessive selfies, something like that. There's like a lot of like yeah. like newer, more contemporary humor that's very applicable, but also Vegas in general is much more commercialized and mainstream and front and center and, and brands and everything today than it was even back in 2009. So it, I think it would be, it would be kind of interesting to see see what it's like today because everything else still kind of holds up. Well, this general like theme and concept of a movie, but also, you know, like, like gambling like gambling is 
hotter now than it was back then on the legal side of things. So I, there's there's plenty of room for this to have been made today, for sure. Yeah, it's interesting, like, reading about the popularity of, of trips to Vegas after this. Just, like, you just kind of assumed it's always been a thing, but apparently it did give it Vegas a bit of a bump after this movie came out. And that surprised me because there's, there's just always been those types of movies, like going go back to the 90s with Swingers or something with John Favreau yep. and, and Vince Vaughn and, and they have a sequence where they go to Vegas. But I guess it's like the entire movie is set in Vegas for, from that side of things. So maybe it's um portrayed the city in a, right. a more modern way. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you go... So I, I actually was in Vegas last year but it only really because I was flying there to go uh, elsewhere. But still, I drove down the strip, and it was you know you just walk it look 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 to your left, look to your right. People on the sidewalk, it's just all kinds of people, all walks of life, normal people, families. Like Vegas is so much yeah. more than just like gambling and strip clubs. Like the shows, you know, like Celine Dion's residency. Like there's so much yeah. stuff at Vegas now, you know. So. Um, I mean, they have all the sports teams now. They're getting more, you know. It's like it's such a different thing than like when Casino came out and the mob ran the place, you know. Yeah, yeah. I went to Vegas in 2017 for one night, uh, just to basically just to get, see it, like get a taste, check it out. <laughs> yeah, and I, I didn't. I don't think I gambled at all, which is probably sacrilegious for um, a trip to Vegas. But um, my friend Jack, who I was there with certainly covered that for, for both of us uh, in in money lost. So, <laughs> yep. so we, we made our contribution collectively to the state of Nevada. From there, we will move on to the Steve Buscemi Spark Plug Award. Steve Buscemi. A real spark plug. And if you're a, a Rewatchables fan, uh, Dave, as I know you are, this is essentially the Dion Waiters uh, ah, of course award or whatever they call it over there yeah uh, who, who comes into the movie for a shorter amount of time and just lights things up while they're on the screen and there's a lot of nominees for this one sometimes we get a movie where there's no one that really stands out but man it's actually quite hard to pick um so i'm going to mm. name the ones that came to me as i was watching it the first one was matt walsh who plays uh dr walsh and yeah. people would probably know him from veep uh He's very funny as the doctor that's taking bribes and okay. trying to uh, help them piece together their night. So at the corner uh, of from get there, a nap and f- off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, from there, we go back to the uh, the wedding chapel and meet Brian Callan, who's playing Eddie. And he's very funny in his mm-hmm. performance as well. Um, Rob Riggle, who's always yeah. funny. Uh, people might know him from 21 Jump Street, but... He's just he's just always great, and him playing the police officer that uh, tases or gets the kids to tase. <laughs> yeah. um, our our main cast is is very funny. Ken Jong, I feel like we had to throw him in there because I guess even at the time, like if if you ask this question at the time of release, I think he's the clear winner as the spark yeah, plug. It fits the criteria. It's a bit different. Yeah, certainly it's a bit different now um, with some of the 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 taste that it leaves in your mouth on a rewatch and Mike Tyson was the last one I wanted to mention just because it's so surprising and Mm. he's got such a a great role so I don't know like who did you think of those characters deserves the uh, spark plug award the most yeah that's a great question you know I should say 
I think Walsh is awesome. Riggle is awesome. They're great, and they're and they're they're small roles. They fit the criteria. I feel like it's hard for me to pick one or the other, even though I think they're both like note perfect. And Ken Jeong, I feel like technically really fits the category, but something about the Tyson performance, I suppose. You know, he mm. have making everyone wait an extra second so he can drum out to Phil Collins, and then he just decks <laughs> Allen in the face. And then what's it? Uh, Ed Helms is like, that's Mike Tyson. He still got it. <laughs> yeah, I I think those Tyson scenes are a lot more memorable than the other ones, even though their performances are great. So we might have to give it to Tyson for that, as well as I guess the fact that it was kind of his uh his comeback in some ways. Yeah. All right. Well, Mike Tyson, you've been a world champion, but now you hold the Steve Buscemi Spark Plug Award as well. So congratulations. Last question, Dave, is The Hangover still a good movie? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yes, there's some things that age age poorly, as we said, but it's still a really tight, funny movie with awesome performances. And like as I said at the top, it's a, we don't really get these like we used to just because they don't really make a lot of these, let alone make them and they happen to be good. So yeah, I think mm. it's, a, it's an awesome film. Yeah, I'm with you. Like even some of the characters we haven't mentioned so much, like Jeffrey Tambor uh, in his small role, Heather Graham in the role as the stripper, right? Uh, Mike Epps as the Black yeah. Doug is is really great, and you've got um, you know, like the 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 actors that that play the wives and girlfriends and fiancés that are on the other end of of the drama even though they're probably not like names that I would recognize or remember, um, especially the one that plays Ed Helms's girlfriend, she's like such a terrible person and you just (laughs) hate her so much. But that I think speaks really well to the the, the performance from her and uh, the fact that you just want this, this guy to, to break free. And yeah, that's a nice little ending to the film. You get the, uh, the wedding singer as well, who uh, I think Todd Phillips used in old school. Yeah, he's, uh, he's, exactly. he's fantastic. Um, so yeah, uh, to, to get back to the question of is it still a good movie? Absolutely, it's f- full of laughs still. Uh, Zach Galifianakis is. Uh, it's almost like, I mean, is it unfair to say that this is like his peak because it's the first thing he did? But it's also like the thing that people think of, um, and it's. You know, because it's the first of the the Hangover movies, then uh, it's probably the one that uh, has the most originality to it. O- outside of maybe like his, uh, you know, Between Two Ferns, where he's right. really just let loose to to be himself and have full control over it. Yeah, what do you think? Yeah, I think it. Is, I think it's definitely his peak. Uh, it's definitely his commercial peak, the peak of his fame. But in terms of like him bringing his unique brand of comedy to something bigger than himself which is like a studio comedy from legendary and warner like i feel like this is really his peak the peak for ed helms i feel like that's less clear because like this is a bigger role in performance than his office turn as a supporting character um so that i think that one's probably a bit harder to pin down and not the peak for cooper and I guess not the peak for Todd Phillips. The peak for his wallet, perhaps. But, you know, he went on to make Joker and get nominated for Best Director. That would have to be his peak. Yeah, it's... um, I don't know. Like, the Joker did so well that I'm not sure how much he would have benefited 
from it being a different era? Like, did it make a billion dollars? I don't know. Is it one of those? It did, but he definitely didn't have this much back end like he did on The Hangover. Sure. Makes sense. But yeah, I mean, if you haven't seen The Hangover since it came out, it's worth revisiting. Um, Like I said, I kind of have avoided the sequels apart from just catching a little bit of them here and there on, on TV or or streaming when it's been on. But um, if the concept hasn't worn out its welcome for you, then yeah, definitely worth heading back and, and seeing this and and, try, and trying to put yourself in the context of like these guys weren't really stars. They, they you know, Silver Lining's playbook hadn't come out. Mm. Um, you know, Ed Helms was still like even less of a, of a supporting yeah. actor on The Office. He was... He was kind of propelled up the, the, uh, the the sheet. What do you call it? The, the call sheet. The call. Yeah, the call sheet. Uh, after this movie came out, and um, Zach, as we mentioned, he went on to do like movies with Robert Downey Jr. and all kinds of things after this. So it's uh, it's good to see. It's it's like going back and watching someone's rookie season and and seeing what they had to offer way back when they were fresh faced and uh, uncorrupted by fame. But um. Yeah, so check out uh, The Hangover if you've given it a while. Uh, from there, I'll just uh, remind our dear listeners that you can subscribe if you haven't already. Share the podcast with your friends. You can grab your 8-bit merch over at shop8bit.net, including a nice little VHS-style throwback comedy rewind t-shirt. You can support us on our Ko-fi page. That's ko-fi.com slash weare8bit. And we always love to see ratings and reviews in podcast services that do that including apple Podcasts, spotify podchaser dave where can people find you on socials and uh what, what have you been working on that people might like to check out yeah definitely you can follow me on twitter at martin swagger m-a-r-t-i-n-s-w-a-g-r and then you can follow me on nostalgia pod pop culture podcast i do each and every week where we review music movies and tv that's on all the podcast services as well as broken out topic by topic on youtube.com slash nostalgia pod so definitely check that out we we watch and listen to a lot of stuff and we talk about it <laughs> and any uh give us a little taste of uh, what's on the agenda for for this week or last week or whatever. yeah totally so uh Obviously, we talk about mainstream stuff like Doctor Strange is coming up, but this week we're talking about Pachinko, the acclaimed Apple TV Plus series, Tokyo Vice, the HBO Max series, new uh, drama series starring Andrew Garfield on Hulu called Under the Banner of Heaven, a lot of TV this week, but yeah, we, we, we talk about anything and everything you can think of. We got Kendrick Lamar album coming up, Better Call Saul's in full swing right now, Yes. Harry Styles, Top Gun Maverick, anything and everything. So check it out. Excellent. Very good. Uh, and of course, you can catch me on social medias at Jono himself. Dear listeners, thank you again for joining us on Comedy Rewind. Be kind. <laughs>